Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. church this morning, you guys. Man, welcome everyone. I'm so glad to be with you. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here. And let's welcome everybody who's with us online. Thanks for joining us on Facebook Live. And I want to thank all of you who uh, share these posts every single week. Just invite your friends to be part of ACF from a distance, from online. And so if you're camping, if you're out of town, if you've been PCS'd, we love you. We're grateful for you as well. And so we are in a series this week, um, continuing on through a series we're calling Who Needs Church? And uh, I've been out of the saddle for like two weeks, so I have lots to say. Uh, t- did Pastor Stewart rap last week? Did anybody see that? Next level stuff. Uh, uh, <laughs> clapping, good. Yeah, nervous clapped. Yeah, no, he, he did a great job. It was so good. So Pastor Stewart will be leaving us for a career in music, just so you guys know. Um, no, he's not leaving us, not going anywhere. So, man, we are excited to see you. This has been a really great season for us as a church. If you're brand new, um, we are out of our building, as the video said, having it remodeled. And this is really, we, we've said, a season of recalibration. Uh, for us as a church. I don't know if anybody here has done a fast before or kind of taken a season, maybe during Lent, where uh, you you stop doing something or some kind of food or whatever, just to get your mind focused on Jesus and who he is. Uh, But for us as a church, I I moved up here 10 years ago, and I've seen ACF Church grow from 35 people to uh, the church that we are today. And I've, I've seen a lot of really amazing things happen over the course of 10 years, and, and, and at the same time, we are moving into a next, to the next season. We're remodeling our building, and we've got some great things in store for this fall. But this summer is really a season where, um, you know, we have to be displaced a little bit. You guys showed up today to a high school uh, to do church. You're sitting on some seats that are really hard and not comfortable, so God bless you for showing up today. But this really, this season has, has forced us to ask ourselves the question, why are we doing any of this? Like, what's the point of all of this, and and how do we keep our minds and hearts focused on the mission that Jesus has for us? And so, in so many ways, we've stripped down church. We've simplified a lot of what we're doing, and and really, right now, this summer, we're letting God recalibrate our hearts. 
Letting him challenge us and push us and, and maybe even hopefully for you uh, as well as for me that we're acknowledging maybe parts of us where our hearts haven't really been in it. Maybe things that we've done out of religious routine or, or whatever, we've just kind of gotten into a rut. And, and we find ourselves acknowledging those things and asking Jesus to bring us life and, and show us real vision for real things that matter. And so as we walk into this fall and get back into our, our space after it's all spruced up and clean, we want to have the right focus. We want to make sure that we are going the right direction for the right reasons. And so that's really what we're doing as a church this summer, and we're walking through the book of Acts. And I don't know if you've had a chance to read through this yet. We're in chapter 4 today. Uh, but the first week we gave out a reading plan for you, and if you didn't get one, or if you lost it, left it here on your seat, they have those at the welcome table in the lobby. Definitely grab one of those. Encourage you to read the text before you get here. Read the text before you get to church. And it's going to make a lot more sense. It's going to help you to ask questions prior to the conversation on Sunday morning. And then even to continue this conversation as you're out fishing or camping this summer, hanging out with friends, just keep talking through this. Uh, because this, the, the book of Acts is really the, our story. It's the story of the church and how it was, was birthed and how it began and grew. And we today are the continuation of the story that we read in the book of Acts. And so this is really our family history in so many ways. And so what we're doing is we're looking at this early church and we're seeing all of its opposition and all of the challenges that they had, and yet they exploded with growth. They continued to go on mission and, and expand their reach way beyond Jerusalem. And so we're it kind of translating that to us here today in Eagle River and going, God, what is it for us that we can learn? What are the things that we've missed? How can we kind of take some things from the, the beginning of the church and apply them here to the church today? And so that's our goal throughout all of this. And in it all, I believe that we'll start to be able to answer the question, who needs church, with I need church. Uh, we need church. This community needs a living, active church. And so that's our goal through this. I hope wherever you're at today, uh, that, that there's something for you that you can let God speak to you. I would guess that some of you probably come to church every Sunday. This is part of your routine. Uh, you never miss a week, you know. You maybe rearrange your, uh, your, your vacation so that you can be at church. And others of you maybe were brought here by a friend and it's your first time and and maybe you're never going to come back. Uh, maybe some of you are just one step away from walking away from the church forever. And I just hope that today, maybe you can let God speak. Maybe you can experience authentic community in a way that you would say that I, I know I need this. And I know our city needs this. And really the theme of all of this series kind of comes back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. This really kind of is, is, a, is a, almost a, a statement of the entire book of Acts summed up. It says this, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You guys, this is really our heart as a church, that we would be an Acts 1-8 community. That we would both reach our Jerusalem, our Eagle River, our Anchorage, to, to Judea, to Samaria, beyond, to uh, the, the rest of the United States, to the rest of the world. That we would be people who are impacting others way beyond these four walls. And we're really asking the question when it comes to the church, because this is, a, this is really an important thing for us, is we're asking, how could Jesus die for something that we have no need for? How could we ever, as, as these, the, the people of the church today, look at the church and go, man, I don't know if I need it, when Jesus died for it. 
And what is it that was in Jesus' heart when he died for the church? Because he didn't just die for you. He didn't just die for me. He died for the community. He died for all of us. Jesus bled for the church. And so it's just this challenge to wrestle with today. How is it that we sort of, I don't know if I need the church. I'm not sure if it's that important when Jesus is like, I would give my life for it. So I hope for you, maybe you can start to answer that question as we wrestle through this. If you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 4. We're going to continue in the story. Last week we talked about this healing of this this lame man at the gate and how all of these people saw this miraculous healing of this man that they'd seen uh, for years and years that was crippled. And how this one miracle was really kind of a spark for, for this movement of the gospel and how people started to kind of jump on board and many people were getting saved and the church was starting to explode. And in all of that, at the same time, we see these religious leaders and these political leaders pushing up against the movement of Christianity. Uh, th- this movement of the church was, was a threat to their way of life. And so we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, I don't know how much you know about church growth, but that's a pretty good day. Um, when you grow the church by 5,000, and, and, and in the Bible we see kind of this, this numbering of men, but this would have been many, many more, including women and children. This explosion of growth. Peter here preaches his, his second sermon. He's preaching about Jesus being the one that leads to the resurrection of the dead and this brings up all kinds of opposition from the religious leaders. And I, I was thinking, why is this so divisive? Like, why did they have such a problem with Jesus and with this movement of Christianity? I, I think it's a few things. I think, first off, we, we know that this was not the way their Messiah was to come. The way that they understood the Messiah was not to come as someone who would die and bleed for the sin, sins of the world. They wanted a, a, a leader that would be like a, like, a, like a political leader and a military leader that would bash some skulls together, right, and kind of get everything in line. Instead, Jesus shows up as the suffering servant. He serves humanity, washes people's feet. This is not the kind of Messiah that they expected, and so they already have a problem with Jesus. But then what's being proclaimed is that Jesus himself is actually the way to resurrection, He himself, this man that they killed, is actually the way to life. And the more people that follow Jesus, the fewer people will be following them. And so you see this sort of jockeying for power and for authority. This was a threat to their power. And so they didn't want the church to continue to grow. What's interesting is, is as good Jews, they would have had a belief in resurrection, right? They had a belief that that resurrection could come. It just shouldn't come that way. It wouldn't come through Jesus, not not through that person. And see, they didn't disagree on the what. They disagreed on the who and the how. The what was resurrection. Sure, you you guys can proclaim the resurrection of the dead. It's just the who and the how. That it's through faith in Jesus that one can be saved. And they didn't like that 
at all. And it's interesting, as we think of the culture that we live in today, um, I was reading a study this week that 80% of Americans believe in the resurrection of the dead. Isn't that interesting? So in our community, in Eagle River, and Anchorage, and, and in the valley, that if you were to take a poll, 80% of our friends and neighbors would say, oh yeah, no, there's, there's like a life after death. There's some kind of resurrection after death. I don't know what it looks like, but, but there's something coming. So that's a really interesting similarity. But I would say the same is true for us today as it was for them, that we disagree on the who and the how, right? Because if you asked your friends, well, if there is a resurrection from the dead, well, well how do you get there? Like, like, like if there's a heaven, if there's something next that you can get to, well, how do you get to it? How do you make sure if there's a resurrection to something good that you go to the, the good place, right? Because we all want to go to the good place. And most of our friends, they would say, well, um, by my decisions on earth, I impact that, that eternity. And we'd say, well, well sort of, right? And we'd say, well, in the end, if I'm a good person... I can resolve, like my, my decisions and my life results in the resurrection that I'm looking for. And so today we disagree. We may agree on this idea of resurrection with 80% of the population, but we disagree on the who and the how. Because for us as Christians, we know that there's nothing good within us apart from Christ. We know that we can't fix ourselves or, or heal ourselves or save ourselves. In the end, we are hopeless apart from Jesus. So the who in the gospel is not us. The who is Jesus. Jesus is how we get saved. Jesus is who leads us to eternity. And the how is not by fixing our lives up. It's not by going to church on Sunday or, you know, giving a few bucks in the offering plate. No, the how is through the resurrection of Jesus. That's the how. So through the resurrection, through faith in the resurrection, we have uh, this belief that Jesus is the one that gives us life. Jesus is preaching this really challenging message for the religious leaders, and that's just that we are hopelessly lost without Christ. And I will tell you that today, in our city, that this is just as challenging of a message. For some of you even here today, that rubs you the wrong way, right? Because we like to think, well, I could use a little work, I'll be honest, right? I'm not perfect, I know, I've got my issues, but I don't want to admit that I'm hopelessly lost, without Jesus. I mean, that's, that's a level I'm not, I, th- I would say for many people that, that they would say they're not ready to go, go to, right? But if we're going to be Christians, if I'm going to be a believer in Jesus, then I have to be ready to say, no, I am hopelessly lost without Christ. In verse 4, it says, but many of those who had heard the word believed. So although there was opposition and although there was this growing persecution of the church, and as we continue to read through the book and and see what happens, we know many of these believers and most of those who led the church end up uh, being killed for their belief, killed for their leadership and declaration of the gospel. And yet in that opposition, through all of that, we watch thousands of people give their hearts to Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I mean, can you guys imagine if, so I'm up here preaching, right here in Eagle River High School, and a bunch of APD officers like bust through the door, right? And they're like, are you preaching the gospel? And I'm like, yes, I am. And they're like, you're going to jail. And they haul me off the stage here. And then they're like, anybody else here want to follow Jesus? I mean, how many of you, if you're honest, would be like, I'm going to slip out the back, right? I can follow Jesus from my boat tonight. I mean, follow Jesus from the mountains, follow Jesus on my own my own little personal Jesus, but this whole being in a community thing, well, that's kind of a threat to to my personal safety. Because by being seen here, 
That's you associating with the church, associating with this belief that Jesus is the one who's in authority. Jesus is in power. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar is Lord. And for them, that was a threat. And for us, I would say there is a threat as well. And you may or may not be comfortable with that. But as you see, this this opposition grows and the church grows with the opposition. It was interesting, the other day, um, I heard something going on, some commotion with my kids upstairs. They both come running downstairs, talking at the same time. Parents ever seen this before? And you know that you know that when two children come at you screaming about the same story at the same time, you know that something happened, right? I mean, one kid, you never know what they're making up, but at the same time, when two kids show up and they're both talking about the same thing at the same time, first of all, they've learned that whoever speaks first tends to have a little more authority with dad, right? And so they want to be the first one to tell the story. But what you see is them both, oh, he touched me first, she did this first, he did this first. And, and you see this, this opposition, right? So you know that something went down. You just got to figure out exactly what went down. And I would say what went on in the early church and what's going on in this moment with all of this opposition as, as the people in the community watch all of these religious leaders so viscerally oppose the movement of the church, I would say that their op- opposition was actually their affirmation. That in their opposition of the church, they were actually affirming that there's something legit and real going on in the family of God, right? There's something real going on in this movement of believers in Jesus. And the more that they opposed it, the more that they came against it, the more people stood up and said, I think there's a cover-up, right? I think that there must be something kind of real going on. And I will tell you, you know, this is in many ways a challenge for us because people today, especially in the United States, are somewhat neutral towards Christianity, right? Most people say, well, you believe what you want to believe as long as I can believe what I want to believe, you know? And they would say, well, that's fine. You can go to church. You can meet in the high school. That's okay. Just don't get in the way of anybody else's belief, right? But in many ways, there's a lot of freedom for us to do what we do. We have a very different kind of opposition. And and some of you have experienced opposition. You've got family members who have disowned you for believing in Jesus. And uh, maybe you've had a professor in school that you've felt like has come down hard on you for being a Christian. But it's very different for us when we're not opposed by the society that's around us. But for them, the opposition was really the affirmation that there was something real that was going on here. And we see so many people believed. Thousands of people believed the good news of Jesus that was being proclaimed. And it's simply the news of hopelessness apart from Christ and hope with Christ. And for us today, the same is true. The same is so hopeful that the good news is this. Do you know that you cannot fix your problem with lust? You can't fix it. You can do what you want, but you just cannot fix your problem. The good news is that you cannot marry somebody that will ever complete you as a human being. The good news is your anger problem won't go away by reading another self-help book, right? You can't, you can't just do it on your own. You can't fix it on your own. The good news is that your kids are going to make mistakes that you can't fix. The good news is that the church will fail you sometimes, but Jesus will never fail you. And it's good news because we know that Jesus is the answer to all of this hopelessness. And until we're ready to acknowledge that we ourselves cannot be our own saviors, we are not ready to receive the good news of Jesus. And for so many of them, 
that did believe, there were also many who didn't. There were many who walked away and said, I'm not ready to give up authority. I'm not ready to give up the power to this man, Jesus. This good news is so hopeful because a proper diagnosis prepares you for the perfect treatment. When you're perfectly diagnosed, when you can really just sit down and be like, my life is a dumpster fire. Anybody else want to admit it? Raise your hand. Whose life is a dumpster fire sometimes? All right. All right. When you're ready to admit that and just be like, man, I'm just a wreck. And there is stuff going on behind closed doors. There's stuff that's going on in my mind. Um, There's decisions that I have made and that I continue to make that I am uh, really ashamed of. There's there's things that I know in my life that I can't seem to get a handle on, like addictions and struggles that, I mean, I've always thought that I could just be strong enough, but I've just learned that I'm not strong enough. Like when you're ready to experience that, to receive that diagnosis, you are ready to receive the perfect treatment. You're ready to receive Jesus. But some people, again, aren't ready to do that. And so what you're going to do is you're going to just look for different doctors, right? It's like, well, I don't like that diagnosis. Give me a different one. And this is what people do with the church. It's one, one reason people would say, who needs church? Because they bounce around, maybe from one to another to another, looking for someone to tell them what they want to hear. And over time, what you realize is that this is not worth, worth your time in the end anyway, right? And one of our promises here, one of my promises to you guys, is, is that you won't always hear what you want to hear. I promise you that. I promise you that I will offend you sometimes, that the Word of God will offend you. Hopefully more so the Word of God than me, but I can offend you as well. Um, I promise you that the church will let you down sometimes. But at the same time, what we promise to do is to be honest. We promise to be authentic. We promise to acknowledge our weakness and ask for grace amidst all of it. And I will tell you that honestly, I think that that's what people are looking for. People know there are no perfect people. Um, We all know that, and yet we still continue to look for it. Just as much as people know there are no perfect churches, but we continue to look for the perfect church. Let's keep going. Verse 15. It says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And l- listen to this. And we cannot deny it. Isn't that crazy? So those who are opposing the church the most are like, hey, we just have to, can we be honest in this, behind closed doors, in this room, that something real is happening in the church. Like there's something that we cannot deny. There's a notable sign. I mean, they're not just talking about the healing of this, this man at the gate, I'll sh- although I'm sure that's part of it. But they're seeing that all of these people are coming together and they're living a different way of life. And there's something notable about the church. You see, when Jesus is really at work in the church, you can reject it, but you can't deny it. When Jesus is really at work in the church, you can reject it, but you cannot deny it. I mean, so for us as a community, for for ACF, we want to be people who are constantly putting notable signs in front of our friends and neighbors and community leaders, right? I, I I, I want people in our city to be like, maybe I don't like Jesus. Maybe I don't like Christianity. Maybe I don't like what these people believe, but there's something notable going on there. And can we admit that that's not true of every church? And, and, and we can also admit, listen, that that doesn't have to be true of us in the future. That we can get into a rhythm of doing church and just kind of coming on Sunday and, you know, just doing our little religious thing and miss out completely on the powerful acts of the Spirit that God wants to do through His family. 
We can miss out on that personally as people. We can kind of go through our day-to-day routine and miss out completely on what God is doing. And so we do things like in September, we're going to do Impact Eagle River, where we cancel church on a Sunday morning. We'll go serve our city. We do oil changes for single single parents and foster families. And it's one way that I will tell you, if you talk to your friends and neighbors, they've been in Eagle River for a little while, they say, oh yeah, that's that church on the corner. Um, You guys do that thing where you go out and serve the city. You do the oil changes for for people. Oh yeah, you guys were the fireworks church. We were that for a little while, the fireworks church. Um, You know, you guys do that for us at, at, uh, at the end of the year. And so that's just one way of many ways that we seek to be a community that's like, hey, we want to kind of do these notable signs, show our city that we love them, that we care for them, that we don't want anything from them, we just want something for them. And as we do, what's so cool is we see God use that year after year after year in the lives of people. I'm constantly meeting people who are like, so I wasn't a Christian, Uh, I didn't want anything to do with the church or with Christianity, Uh, but then somebody knocked on my door one day and asked me if they could rake my yard. They're all wearing these Love all, serve all t-shirts, right? So I was like, yeah, that, sure, that's fine, you know. Rake away. So they rake my yard, and then, you know, I found out about this oil change. I showed up, I got my oil changed, you know, and I'm a single mom, and, you know, it's a hard thing. I forget to take care of my car. And well, then I met a friend who, you know, goes to your church, and she started talking about what was happening there. And, and over the course of touch after touch after t- touch, God starts to work in the hearts of someone to begin to ask questions, and for, for us, it's, it's really no different that the, the church starts to grow when the people of God begin to submit to the power of God and act in his authority in the world. When Jesus is really at work, it is undeniable. It's undeniable. You know, it's interesting. Um, have you ever heard somebody say something that you were like, I don't believe you? You ever, you ever heard somebody say, like maybe somebody said, I love you once, and you're like, no, you don't, Right? Or maybe your kid was like, mommy, I'm sorry. And you're like, no, you're not. Right? We've all heard people say things, and we've all been guilty of saying things that are deniable, right? Where people are like, man, I'm not so sure. I'm not, I'm not convinced at all. That was not convincing what you just said to me. And where I want to kind of continue on here this morning is, is, is what happens, I think, a lot for Christians is we all feel like this, this tension. We want to share our faith. We want to see people's lives be changed like our life was changed. But have you ever shared about Jesus before and had somebody look you in the eye and you could tell they were thinking, I don't believe you? And if you were honest about it, you thought in your, your own heart, I might not even believe myself right now. Like, I'm struggling with my own faith. And what I want to do as we walk through the next section of Scripture here in the book of Acts is that we would begin to understand what it means to live an undeniable life. Because there was something undeniable happening in the early church, in these people's lives. They were doing things and living in such a way that the people that opposed them most were like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't like it. It makes me angry, but I cannot deny it. Listen, you guys, I was just praying this week and thinking about this text, and I'm like, God, let that be true of ACF. God, let that be true of me as a person, that the people that most viscerally oppose Christianity would be like, man, I don't like it. I want to be in power. I don't want this Jesus to be in power, but I cannot deny that there's something real going on there. Don't you want that? So that's our heart here as we continue on. Let's keep going. How can we live lives that are less deniable? Verse 17 says, but in order that they may spread no further among the people, 
they said, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in, in this name, right? So they're, they're like, hey, don't, don't talk to anybody else about this Jesus character. We know we, we can't push too hard yet because we don't want people coming against us as the religious leaders and political leaders, but we're just going to tell you, stop talking about it. <laughs> stop talking about Jesus, and then maybe the problem will go away. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Think about that. This is Peter. Remember Peter? Denied Christ three times. Not even to somebody who was in authority, to like a little servant girl, right? He's like, do you know Jesus? No. Right? I want nothing to do with this man. That would be too much of a risk, right? Nothing to do with this man who's been arrested. And yet something has happened in the life of Peter that has caused him at this point to be fearless, to, to be courageous. He's not worried about what anyone will do to him. He's just like, listen, listen, you can be upset at us for speaking and you can determine whether or not God is going to judge us or judge you. But in the end, I can't help but speak about what I've seen and heard. You have to go, well, what has, what has Peter seen and heard? First of all, he's seen a resurrected Jesus, right? He's seen that the resurrection is real, that Jesus is actually alive. Once again, this is, this is confirmation that the story of Jesus coming to life is true as we look at these people in the early church and how they ultimately end up giving their lives for the message of the gospel. I mean, who would give their life for a lie, right? And yet there's something about that this, this, that's true. And Peter also sees the movement of the church. He sees people getting saved. He sees lives being transformed. And Peter's like, he's got a front row seat to all of this. And he's like, listen, I can't help but talk about it. Because it's just so real to me. I think the first thing that we can do to, to, to live lives that are less deniable is to get a view. Get a view. Um, we have a team that just came back from Ensenada, Mexico, and uh, they spent some time there building a house for a family, and uh, a family that didn't have a home to live in, and uh, just doing work for them. And if you talk to any of the people that went to Mexico, they'll just light up. I mean, just ask one of them. If you see them in the lobby, uh, just say, hey, tell me some stories, and they will just gush with stories of what God did. I guarantee it. Because God was at work, and they were willing to step away from what they normally do to get a picture of what God is doing in the lives of these people in Mexico. To get a picture of what it's looked at like to serve alongside other people, to sweat, which they were doing some sweating in Mexico, to pound some nails, to get blisters, but to do it all in the name of Jesus. You see, they did things, they made decisions that put them in the proximity of what God was doing, and they were changed by it. And that's what Peter experienced, and that's what we get to experience today if we're willing to get a view. If we're willing to get around those things. Otherwise, what happens is we always end up feeling this tension like when we tell people about Jesus that we're not being completely authentic about it. That we're not being completely real about it because we ourselves aren't so sure that we believe it anymore. And this happens to, I think, a lot of people. Like, man, I haven't, I know I go to church every week, um, open my Bible once in a while, maybe have a small group, but I, if I'm honest, I haven't been around a moment where I've seen God work and, and God hasn't really broken through in my life in any ways in a long time. And so I've got some pretty big doubts right now. 
And I would say that if enough people in a church live that way, the church will grow stagnant and stale. And over time, we all together will even ask that question, who needs church? What's the point of any of this? But when people get in the proximity of God's work, our lives are, are transformed. We see other people's lives be transformed, and it changes us. And then through all of that, we get excited, we start to share stories. And it's so natural. It's so natural that way. A few weeks ago, I uh, decided to take my wife out on a date. So we've, uh, we've made a routine of doing date night once a week. And I'll tell you that uh, I have not been consistent with this over the course of our marriage. We've been married uh, 17 years. And we have not been consistent on date night, but we started doing this. And so in the morning, on date night, we'll always start texting each other. What are we doing tonight? What's the plan for date night? You know, where are we going? And so it was about lunchtime, and Amanda said, hey, what do you want to do for date night? And I text her back, want to go hunting? And I'm fully expecting, like, dot, 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 not a chance, right? Because she's not a hunter. She's not really into it, you know. And, and she texts me back, let's do it. And I'm like, oh, I freaked out. I mean, I launched into, like, prep mode, and I'm trying to, you know, get home early to get gear together. Cause, so my goal here, because I'm going to go on date night with my wife, and it's going to be a hunt, and, and this is going to be the best thing. I fell in love with her all over again, and just like, like that. And so I want this to be comfortable. So I'm getting, like, the gear together and the bug spray, and, like, I got gear for rain, gear for sun. And, and, and like, we got everything taken care of. And so we do. We head off uh, to, our, to our bear stand, and we're going to sit in a, in a bear stand on date night, right? Can the men rejoice together? Like, this is such, this is such an awesome opportunity and, because it's got all the different aspects of a perfect date night, right? So there's, there's a gun, right? There's guns. Uh, there's, there's uh, like, hunting involved. And I'll, I'll be honest, the third was that we can't talk in the, in the stand. And if you're, come on, man, be honest with me, right? Once in a while, just having a date night where there's no discussion is just a beautiful thing. And I love talking to my wife, but... So I'm like, this is going to be perfect. So here we are. We're up in the bait stand. We're sitting in a tree. It's just a beautiful sunny day. The bugs aren't bad. She's sitting there reading her boundaries with kids book, you know. And just, I mean, I got her, my arm around her. I got my hand on a 30-06. And I'm just like, does it get any better than this, right? And it did, right? A bear came in while, I, I mean, I could have never planned this. I could have done this for years and it wouldn't have worked out. I was doing some praying, I'll be honest. And uh, we were able to, let's put the picture up, able to have the, get this nice, beautiful little black bear. So I know some of you are very offended, but, but this is in my freezer, so don't be offended. Uh, this is going to feed my family for a little bit, but most of you are Alaskans, and you're just jealous. So um, we were able to take a bear. I shot it. She spotted it, and she was part of the whole thing. We ate Taco Bell at midnight and, like, went home. It was amazing. It was, like, the best date night ever. But what was so cool about this over the next week that I, I, I hadn't expected this is that for the next week, wherever we went, my wife was talking about hunting. It was amazing. Like, we would, we would see some friends. We'd sit down with them, and she's like, I got to tell you about date night. Uh, and, and so she's just, like, gushing. with. Like, so we were, like, walking in through the woods, and I was scared. I had a handgun. I was like, don't shoot my husband. You know, I got the handgun. And, and, and we get in the tree stand, and then, like, we're sitting up there, and then the bear comes in, and he shoots it. And then, I mean, she's telling this story, and I'm just, like, grinning ear to ear. Everywhere we went, just overflowing with stories about hunting. Up until that point, she'd just never been there before, right? She'd never done it. She'd never experienced. She'd, she'd never seen it. But once she experienced it personally, it was such a natural conversation. And there was nobody ever going like, I don't believe you. 
I guarantee it. I mean, people are like hanging on every word as she tells the story of this whole evening that we spent together. And I want to tell you that if you have a sense in your heart that that's how we should speak about Jesus, you got to get around people and you got to get into situations where you can experience things that are worth talking about. And I want to tell you just, just showing up and showing up to church late, leaving early is not going to do it. I'm singing a couple songs, just showing up to small group and leaving early. I mean, it's not going to do it until you pour your heart and soul into something. Until you, I mean, maybe something simple for you is, do you know somebody whose faith does seem really real? I mean, some of you here are like, man, my faith feels really kind of numb right now. And, and, and I would say if I were to talk about Jesus, people would be like, I don't believe you. But do you know somebody who's just alive in Christ right now? I want to encourage you to get around them. Go fishing with them. Go camping with them. Spend some time with them. Start a small group with them. I mean, get around people who are in those types of seasons of life. I'll tell you too, if you're feeling that, like it's kind of numb and I'm, my faith feels sort of deniable right now, I want to I encourage you to start serving somewhere. Start giving of yourself to others. Be generous to other people. Love people sacrificially. Find simple ways to just show up for others week in and week out, and your faith will become less deniable. Here's what we see continuing on. So there's all this opposition growing, and, um, and they're realizing as this growing church that if we continue to do what we're doing, um, it's going to risk our lives. It's going to risk our families' lives. We may, we may have to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. Verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, so they gathered together just like we're doing today. This is crazy. And then they're praying together, which is something we do. Now, hopefully you're praying right now and you're, you're saying, God, speak to me in this. Challenge me in this, God. Give me something to take home with me here today, God. I want you to, to break through some of the numbness of my faith, if that's you here today. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Like literally the earth shook, which in Alaska we're like, yeah, that's like a typical day in Alaska. But as they're praying, the earth starts shaking and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what they did. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They did something that resulted in this boldness of proclamation of the word of God. They boldly declare what God is doing. So I think the second thing that we all need to do if we want our lives to be less deniable is to take a knee. Take a knee. First, get a view. Second, take a knee. Start a prayer life. I'll tell you, the difference between a church that's growing and thriving and a church that's slowly dying, I believe, is are they praying? I believe this with all my heart. That if we aren't people who are listening to God, consistently in our lives. I mean, we're not the kind of people who wake up in the morning and we go, before my feet hit the carpet, I'm just going to dedicate this day to Jesus. I'm going to ask him to, to challenge me and to grow me. I'm going I'm to tell him, hey, God, when you speak to me today, I'm actually going to listen to you. And I'm going to commit myself throughout the day to hearing his voice and actually doing what he tells me to do. If we're not a people like that, I want you to know that people will look in at ACF and go, who needs it? But when we together are people of prayer, 
When we gather together, I want you to know, just like in this moment, God will move miraculously. I guarantee it. And I see it happening every week. Do you guys know every week people show up to church and their lives are transformed? Every week people fill out little cards that say, I want to give my life to Jesus. They walked in here one way and they left different. A few weeks ago we did baptisms out front of the high school. Watch people declare that they are giving their lives to Christ. That's amazing. It's amazing. So we see it around all the time, but I want you to know something that I noticed as I was reading through the book of Acts is that the Spirit works in community. I know all of us, like we live in a day and age where we want to have our own personal Jesus and do our own personal faith thing. And, you know, we want to have, you know, I I think I can be as healthy, just me and Jesus, as I am with the church. And I just want to tell you that's a lie. That That is a lie. You cannot. We need each other. We need the community. I need you in my life. You need me in your life. And together we will see the Spirit of God move in miraculous, in powerful ways. That's what we see in their lives. Together we see the ground start shaking. All of these people together filled with the Spirit. And together they boldly proclaim the gospel. I mean, wouldn't it help you if this week you were like, all right, I've got this friend I've been thinking about inviting him to church. I've been thinking about sharing my faith with them. Wouldn't it help you to know that if today on Sunday morning, if all of these people raised their hands and said, we're all going to do this together this week, wouldn't that help you a little bit? To know that you're not alone in that? And wouldn't it be powerful if we together prayed today that, that we all this week said, there is somebody in my life that I can share the gospel with. Somebody that God has put right in my midst to be an example of Jesus toward, and I'm going to do it this week. Like, I'm going I'm to step out in boldness this week, and I'm not alone because everybody in my church is doing it too. Can we admit that that's not always how it feels? Can we admit that sometimes we feel alone in it? And we wonder, right, who else in this room is doing it? But if together, as we do this together this Throughout this this summer, as we make these commitments and we start to step out and do these things, we're going to see the movement of God, I think, grow in our city and in our community. So they're filled with the Spirit, and God is deeply at work in them. Verse 34, continuing on, it says, There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as they had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So one of the most powerful key marks of the early church, of our early family as a church, was that they had no needs among them. I mean, they took care of things for each other, and they shared what they had. Now, some of you are like, is this communism? What is this? You know, like, they are, they are by choice sharing what they have and bringing it to the leaders of the church and meeting needs throughout the church so that nobody had any needs. And for the people in their community, they were like, that's, that's notable, right? Because that does not happen anywhere. So this is a really key thing that we see is this generosity, um, this feeling of kind of mutual partnership and responsibility that, hey, if you don't have food and I do have food, that's a problem, right? It's a problem if I have an excess of food and you don't have any food, I want to take care of you. I want to help you with your needs. Again, this isn't something that's being legislated. 
This is just something that's an overflow of abundance out of their hearts because they see what God is doing in their midst. And so there's this community, this generosity. The needs are being met by the family of God. You know, it's powerful to see that. And I love that it talks about grace. It says, and great grace was upon them all. So you see a connection there? Generosity, open-handedness with what they have, and then God poured out his great grace upon them. But what you need to see is that 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 was done in community, once again. It wasn't just like, and Bill, this is probably a Bill here, and Bill was like, was willing to be generous, and great grace was poured out on Bill. No, there's this, almost this sense that God is working through the community as the community is obedient to him. And as they're obedient and gracious and generous, God's grace is poured out on them in their lives. Wouldn't we want that to be said of us? In ACF Church, there were no needs among them. They, they held everything they had open-handedly, and great grace was upon ACF Church. I mean, don't you want that to be the story? And I think in so many ways, it has been our story. You guys, I'll tell you, this is the most generous church I've ever been a part of. I mean, some of you guys blow my mind. You see a need, and you just don't even have to think about it. It's not like, hey, let me pray about meeting that need. You just go, no, God already told me to meet the need. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to open up and meet the need. Because then we see this guy Barnabas, right? And he is this encourager. And he's a leader. He's a Levite. And the Levites were those who were uh, dedicated by God to the service of, of the church. And so this man, Barnabas, is like, he sees what's happening in the church. He, he sees all this generosity happening and this open-handedness. And he goes, well, what's my job here? And he goes, you know what I can do? I can encourage others to be more generous. I can be open-handed with what I have. And so he goes, what do I have? I have a field. You know, notice it didn't say, well, and Barnabas had a stacked full bank account, Right? And so he just brought the money to the apostles' feet. No, Barnabas actually had to think about it. He was like, no, I, I, to get the money to meet the needs, I need to sell the field that I have, and then that's going to help meet the needs. So that's exactly what he does. Again, no coercion, no manipulation. He's just doing it because he senses God is calling him to do it. And the other thing here that's so interesting, um, depending on your church background, this is challenging for you. He does it publicly. It literally says that he brought the money to the apostles' feet. That's kind of weird, right? Can you imagine if during the offering today, I'm like, everybody bring it right here. Yep, right here. Like Somebody got a hat. Let's just like, I'll hold it. Everybody bring your money. Publicly come up, and we're, we're going to see what everybody does and brings to the front. of. Anybody uncomfortable with that? A few. You're like, I would never come back to this church, right? But in the early church, it was apparently very normal. I mean, for them, there wasn't all this like secrecy, like, no, 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 don't. Don't, don't talk about what I give, you know. I, no, it's very open. It's just honest, right? They're just honest about it. They're like, hey, I'm okay with, with being, because I know what I'm doing. I'm following God, and he's following God. We're following God together. And so we're going to be generous openly and publicly together. For Barnabas, he knew. I'm guessing Barnabas was, was generous privately as well. I'm guessing there's a lot that we don't know about Barnabas's generosity, but he also knew that, hey, if I want to be a leader, I want to help stir others up in generosity, as we read in Hebrews. That we're to stir one another up in, in love and in service. And so that's what he does. Like, he comes up and he publicly gives. And it, it just makes people, people more excited. Like, look at what we're doing. We're giving what we have. We're, we're making big moves of faith. And we're seeing God work through it. 
So we see if you want to live a life that's less deniable, first we have to get a view. Second, we want to take a knee, be people of prayer. And the third thing that we want to do is give a gift. And I don't know what your gift is. I don't know what you have to bring. But whatever it is, I want you to consider saying, God, how can I use this for the kingdom? And this is radical stuff. I get it. I get it because I'm getting into your business, and some of you don't like that. But what we see in the early church, in this living, breathing, and active church, is that they were very open-handed with what they had, and God's grace was poured out upon them. And I want you to know that I could, I could file people up on this stage who would tell you stories of how they held tightly to what they had, and they lacked the grace of God in their lives. And as soon as they opened their hands, they watched God pour his grace out onto their lives, and they seen him provide in miraculous ways. I talk to people constantly with that story. So for them, they were open-handed. They were giving gifts. They were meeting needs. And, and there, I got to admit, right, there's a lot of poor people in their culture. It's very different than ours. Uh, I was reading this week that about 4% of their culture was upper class. 10% was middle class, and the rest were living at a poverty level. And in Eagle River right now, um, I don't know if you know this, but our median income is about 34% above the national average in Eagle River. And some of you are like, well, then why doesn't it feel that way, right? But that's just where we, we live in a pretty affluent community with a lot of nice manicured yards, a lot of nice, you know, fishing boats. And we live in a nice community, don't we? But I will tell you that in our city, the poverty is deeply spiritual and it's relational and it's emotional. Like we live in a deeply impoverished state. I don't know if you know this. And I will even tell you that as we read scripture, I could argue that, that spiritual and emotional poverty is actually more of a threat and more of a challenge than, than physical. Jesus would say, that's what you need to focus on, right? Like, okay, we need to eat. But what's deeper than that is, where's your heart? Where's your heart? And so for us as a church, that's what we exist, is, is, is a place to serve our city. And people come in here all the time with broken marriages, dealing with de depression and PTSD and all kinds of things, and they find a place where they can be loved and healed and cared for, and there's hope that wells up in their lives. And so for us, we believe that that's what we're to do, but we're also to be generous beyond the walls of our church. And many of you know that in November, we started a partnership with Compassion International, we started a partnership in Bobo, Jalasso, Burkina Faso with uh, the, these children who need food and they need education. And, and so what we did is we started sponsoring kids. We sponsored 500 children. So that means 500 of, of you said, I want to sponsor a child. And, and my monthly sponsorship is going to give them food and make sure that they get, they get taken care of. And it's going to help them to hear about Jesus, which is amazing. And so just this last week, I was thinking to myself, it's been a little while since November. And I thought, I wonder how many of those 500 people are still sponsoring children. And so I, we, we contacted Compassion. We're like, hey, let's do a checkup on ACF Church. If this is a season of recalibration, let's be honest. How many people are still sponsoring children in Burkina Faso? And I want you to know the number is 498 of you. Come on. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. We've got the names of the other two people we're going to put on. I'm just kidding. No. Some of you are like, who are they? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
That's awesome, you guys. I mean, how incredible. Do you know what that means? And listen, I hope you can hear my heart on this. This is not to be like to brag on ACF. Here's what that means. Put that slide up. That means that we send out $228,000 annually to provide health care, education, and spiritual mentorship to under-resourced children in Burkina Faso. I mean, that's, that's what we can do together when we start to get it. You guys, just think. Think of what else God has for us. And I'm, I'm so stoked for this fall. Like, I'm just ramped up about what God's going to do in our church this fall. But I want our hearts to be ready for it. Because even in this, we can get proud, can't we? Even in this, we can start to think, okay, I've done enough, Jesus. And Jesus is like, did you give your life yet? And we're like, nope. He says, how you know you've done enough? Is when you give up everything. So for Jesus, um, Jesus lived an undeniable faith, didn't he? He gave up everything for us. Nobody ever looked at Jesus and said, I don't believe you. Because he was willing to give up everything for what he believed in. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for you. Jesus, first of all, we just want to confess that it's so easy to buy into consumerism. And it's easy to buy the lie that if we just keep ourselves comfortable and happy, that we'll have a purpose God, I am asking you today for us that you would push back the limitations that we place on your grace and on your mercy and on your generosity and on your love and on your forgiveness for those around us. God, I know that that takes courage. So we need to see things that give us courage. So God, would you give us the desire and the discipline to put ourselves in situations where we see you moving. God, there is no doubt that you are alive and active. There is no doubt, God, that you are changing hearts. But I will admit, God, sometimes I'm just thirsty to see it, but not willing to take a step towards it. So God, I pray for the person here today whose faith feels really dry. I pray for the person here who's maybe watching online because they've walked away from church, that you would birth within us a desire to see something real, a belief that you are actually moving and active. And as we take those steps, God, that you would show yourself to be faithful to show us what you're doing. Oh God, that we may tell the story of the kingdom alive and active around us and be able to tell it in a way that makes our eyes light up and that people look in and they see that there's something that maybe they disagree with, something that maybe they don't like, but they cannot deny it. Father, may we be an undeniable presence of the kingdom of God from Eagle River to Anchorage to the valley to the ends of the earth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.